from today's gospel. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. When we think of Lent, I would imagine the first thing that pops into our head is fasting. And I would also imagine that it's not a very joyful thought. People don't like to fast. That's why we call it a spiritual discipline. It's hard, it's strange, and in many ways it's kind of unnatural. To deny our body the food it wants and needs goes against our basic instincts. But this is why I think fasting is so important. And why followers of Jesus for over 2,000 years have made fasting a part of their regular Christian lives. It's a concrete, tangible, and sometimes even bold way of picking up our cross and following Jesus. Of saying no to the ways of this world with all of its emphasis upon indulgence and consumerism. What's interesting also is that Jesus actually never commands us to fast. Instead, he just assumes we will. In the passage we heard read on Ash Wednesday, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Not if you fast or if you think it's a good idea to fast or if that's something you feel the Lord's called you to. Or, hey, you probably should fast when you do it. It's assumed. This is so insightful. Fasting is so basic to living out faith in God Almighty that Jesus doesn't even need to command or exhort us to do it. He just knows his followers will continue this ancient discipline from Israel. And so, if we want to stand in the long lineage of Jesus' disciples, and I think if we want to obey Jesus' assumption about his own followers, then fasting in some shape or form, must belong in our Christian walk. And Lent has been handed down to us in the tradition of the church as the prime season for all of us, the entire body of Christ, globally, to pick up this discipline together. For this morning, then, I want to take some time and just offer some basic teaching and instruction about fasting For a whole host of reasons that I won't get into, this practice has sadly never been strong in the Anglican tradition. And with the changes and reforms in the Roman Catholic Church in the 60s and 70s, fasting has all but fallen out of practice in Western Christianity. It's more common today to hear about fasting from doctors and health gurus, intermittent fasting, we've all heard of that, It's more common to hear from them than from priests and bishops. And this is truly a loss to our detriment. Fasting is not a work that earns us salvation. Not at all. We said that a few weeks ago during pre-Lent, all the disciplines we do during Lent flow from a place within us of already having experienced the grace and mercy of God. Jesus' death on the cross for us and his resurrection are the motivations to fast and to fast seriously. Why fast then? Why would I say that the loss of emphasis on fasting in the church over the past decades has been to our detriment? Well, before I get to the why of fasting, let's just talk about the what really quick. What exactly do we mean in the church by fasting? I want to be clear and perhaps a little blunt, and please know that I don't mean to ruffle any feathers 
though that might happen. But the record needs to be set straight. See, she already has feathers ruffled. The record needs to be set straight. Oh, man, really? From, from Genesis to Revelation, from the entire corpus of Holy Scripture, the biblical definition of fasting is the reduction in the consumption of food. Let me say that again. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire corpus of biblical scripture, the definition of fasting is the reduction of consuming food, period. Since Vatican II, which is that's the council in the Roman Catholic Church in the 60s that changed the Catholic Church and in turn changed the entire Western scope of Christianity, us included, it has become normal for people during Lent to, quote, give something up. People will give up social media or Netflix or TV or the news. Maybe they give up the radio on their way to and from work in the morning in order to pray while driving. Bit scary, but if you can do that without getting a wreck, that's great. I've heard dozens of these sorts of examples. And while I think they're all actually really great ideas, I want to suggest that they aren't fasting in the technical sense. Fasting, church, has to do with food. It's good to add here that fasting is not necessarily about giving up those things then that are bad for you, like too much TV or too much Facebook. You probably shouldn't be involved in those things in the first place. Fasting is about giving up good things. Food isn't bad. Some is. Food isn't bad. It's about giving up good things so that we might focus on receiving the best thing, God's holy presence in our lives. In a similar vein, many people confuse fasting with abstinence. Fasting is eating less. Abstinence is foregoing a certain type of food. Usually these go hand in hand, okay? A lot of people, for instance, give up sugar or soda or meat or alcohol for Lent. That's great. And I really encourage you to do that, all of you to do that, if you can. And the tradition of the church would encourage you to do that, if you can. But that is not yet fasting. If you give up sugar or alcohol or meat, but you keep eating the same amount of food, or to compensate, you eat even more food, you aren't fasting, you're abstaining. Why this emphasis on eating less? Why is that the biblical definition of fasting? Well, I've thought about this for a long time now, and I'm not even sure I have the exact answer. But I think I've come up with something that might be close. It has to do with human nature and how we entered into sin. What was that sin that led us, that led our first parents, our first parents Adam and Eve, into the state of sin? It was eating, eating something that we were not supposed to eat. We overindulged in God's creation, and we went beyond the bounds set for us. Ever since then, we have had a disrupted relationship, not only with God Almighty, not only with the other people around us, but with the created world as well. And food seems to be the touch point, the intersection between us and the rest of God's creation. We need to take food. We need to take God's creation into our bodies and become one with it 
in order that we might live and move and have our being. What brought physical and spiritual death to Adam and Eve was doing that wrongly. Fasting stands as a spiritual discipline that counters the first sin. We refuse to overindulge our desires and to use or really abuse creation to satisfy our deepest desires. While in the moment of fasting, at least for me, life is very unspiritual. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm almost always in a bad mood. As I told Scott Bailey, where are you, Scott? We were talking about fasting in my office on Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is notoriously the worst day of the year for me because of this. Liz and I have the worst luck on Ash Wednesday. This year wasn't too bad, but we always have bad luck, and the fasting just complicates it all. But the benefit of fasting usually takes place after the period of fasting. When we submit our fasting to God and we do it in prayer, the Holy Spirit uses this discipline to form and shape us, to prune away from us our pride, our gluttony, our passions. We learn to hunger deeply for the true food of our souls, Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. But this takes time, church. If you just fasted for three days and said, well, I didn't get much out of that. I'm never going to do it again. You've got, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And that's the part that we don't like to hear. It takes suffering. It takes being hungry and saying no to food, even though you really want it. That's why fasting, the reduction of eating food, has been such an important discipline for God's people since the very beginning and why our Lord himself, as we read today in the gospel, did it for our sake for 40 days in the wilderness. Now, please hear me. This is important because there's some people who are probably upset. While the tradition of the church has a technical definition of fasting, which is this, two really small meals, think a snack, and then one normal meal, not overindulging, one normal meal in a 24-hour period, that's fasting. Too small, one normal. That's the proper and received definition in the church. It's more of a standard than an ironclad rule. You know, it, look, if you usually eat three Big Macs every day for lunch and you only eat two, that's fasting. You're eating less food. You're eating less food. And that's the place to start. Over the years, you can work on going deeper and further into the discipline. But eating less is the goal because that goal corresponds to our first sin of eating and our constant tendency to overindulge, to use and abuse God's creation around us. It would also be bad if I didn't mention that there are all sorts of reasons why any given person should just not fast. And that's okay or perhaps should only fast in very small, limited ways. The main one being health reasons. No one's going to die on my watch from not eating uh, food enough. Remember, legalism is not the principle. That is, it's not about weighing out your food on a scale every day and saying, this is it, this is all I can eat today. That's not it. It's about the discipline before the Lord. It's about your heart and offering your fasting as a spiritual sacrifice to God through prayer. 
And so as we begin the Lenten season this year, perhaps you've fasted well in the past, and you've already fasted these past first few days of Lent. But maybe not. Maybe the past four days have looked no different than any other. I want to encourage all of us to take seriously our Lord's example in the gospel passage, to see fasting as a tool against Satan. I want to exhort us all to fast, to eat less and deny ourselves, even if in a very small degree, you know, two Big Macs instead of three. May the Lord bless our spiritual exercises this Lent and grant us the strength to fast well. May he fill us with his presence and goodness as we learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we yearn for the food of everlasting life, the food mystically present at this altar, Jesus Christ himself. He, dear church, is our only God and Savior, and he deserves every single part of you, even your desires, your longings, your hungers. He deserves your stomach. To him and to his Father, with the Holy Spirit, be all glory and honor, now and forever, world without end. Amen. Amen.